Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we have a really fun, interesting educational podcast. It is all about building your birth team and red flags you should keep your ears open to. We're going to talk about picking your care provider, your doula, your childbirth education class, kind of the do's and don'ts and things that your little spidey senses should sense. So to have this conversation, I talked to Sarah Levon. Let me tell you a little bit about her. First of all, it was a delight to talk to her. I smiled from ear to ear the whole time. She is so knowledgeable and offers information in such an easy to understand digestible way. But let me tell you a little bit about her. So she is a pioneer in nursing and birth education. Sarah is the founder and CEO of Bundle Birth, a nursing corporation with a vision to unite patients, support persons, and medical personnel together through education and support. She has so much knowledge. So she comes from an LNDA labor and delivery nurse background, as well as a childbirth educator and a labor support doula. She is the package of knowledge, and she shares all of that with you for this conversation. You're going to walk out with notes and excitement and just enthusiasm to talk to your birth team and organize the people that will be supporting you. But before we get to that thrilling conversation, you can tell I was really excited about it. (laughs) Just a little update of what we're doing doing at PYC. So we are continuing to push through with all of our online classes. I've been having conversations with folks about COVID and what that has done. And I will say, let's say there's a silver lining. I would say that silver lining is it really opened up our ability to expand the community. And with that, the ability to support one another from the point of view as the yoga, the teacher to the student and the students to each other and just the whole support system of birth, especially since this conversation today is about building your team and finding the support that can best serve you during this time. So we are continuing with our online classes seven days a week. We're continuously adding more in-person classes. So check out our schedule, see what best serves you and suits your schedule. We have on-demand classes. So go to prenatalyogacenter.com and check out our schedule. And I can't wait to see you in class in either a prenatal or a postnatal. Maybe it's one of our childbirth education classes. While you're on our website, don't forget that you can grab our free downloadable. It's called Five Simple Solutions to the Most Common Pregnancy Aches and Pains. So that's just like your little cheat sheet on the side if you can't make it to class. And then the last thing I would like to remind you, we have been leading our prenatal yoga center teacher trainings for... 
I'm somewhere between 14 and 16 years. I don't actually remember, but it's somewhere in that range. And what we've decided to do is do two in-persons a year and two online. So if you are a yoga teacher and you're looking to take a very deep dive into our methodology, I would be thrilled to work with you. So you can check that out also on our website. And then I guess really the last thing I want to say is, is just thank you. Thank you for being part of our community and thank you for listening and thank you supporting us so that we can continue to support you. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Sarah. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hello. I am doing awesome today. I'm... I am thrilled about this conversation. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really excited too. I had, I don't remember how I got turned on to, I think it was someone in my team that mentioned you. And then I took quite a deep Aww. dive uh, into your social media and through your website. And I'm thinking, wow, this person knows a lot. And the fact Aww. that you said, yeah, let's chat just made me so excited. So thank you. Oh my gosh, my honor. I love, love chatting about my work and connecting with other birth workers. Yeah, well, let's start with that. Let's start learning a little bit about you and what led you to birth work. Yeah, I feel like I got suckered in by my parents (laughs) who let me be a part of my sister's birth when I was five years old. And this is like very countercultural, not very common, probably not really happening anymore. But my mom had a very progressive doctor who was like, yeah, bring her along. And I remember not being scared. My mom did not have an epidural and her yelling and, and look and looking at me and being like, I'm okay, Sarah. And I literally looked at my mom and I was like, I know mom. So calm as a five-year-old. And so I think I've always been obsessed with pregnancy. I always thought it was very fascinating and then also loved babies and then loved working with young, young birthing people or women. And I think, you know, as I, as I grew and was looking for a career, I landed in nursing. I could not tell you how I wanted to help people. And I was like, I think I should be a nurse, not at all knowing really what it entailed. And so that's what I did. I went to nursing school and ended up getting hired directly into labor and delivery, which was a whole nother story, but (laughs) I won't bore you with the details. And so that's really how I got my entry into the birth world as a labor and delivery nurse in the hospital setting in Los Angeles. And very quickly, I um, realized that my hospital was not the only way that people practice. Um, And as I started reading and learning for myself and expanding and growing as a nurse, I first of all, wanted to pay off my student loans. So I got a second job, but I really intentionally chose a a demographic that was very different from the hospital that I started at. And that was really important to expose me to another way of hospital-based nursing. And at that job, I eventually went full-time at that at that hospital again in LA, and I ended up starting to teach childbirth classes. I was a part of eight nurses that were selected to revamp their childbirth education program, started teaching childbirth classes, taught and developed a whole lot of specialty classes, and that's where my love for education came in. And as I grew in my passion for that education, I really found that when I was at the bedside with families coming in and I asked them if they'd done childbirth ed, 
I started to get to a place where I didn't even have to ask them because their experience was so different. Their perspective, their mm. confidence, their, their like calmness coming into the room. I'm like, you did childbirth classes, didn't you? They're like, yeah, I did. And I'm like, was it helpful? Oh my gosh, so helpful. And so I was seeing the stark difference between those who did education and who didn't. And, um, and that really got my brain going. And then eventually I started, you know, working with the community and seeing so many gaps in the childbirth, childbirth world in general and saying like, Ooh, we could do this. We could do that. And I'm an innovator. I'm a visionary and I have a lot of hope for the world. That um, I think makes me somewhat unique in some ways. I really believe that there is nothing that is impossible, and that's a thrilling way to live. But it's also um, caused me to make some really crazy decisions, like quit my job in 2017 on a whim to start my business. That now I have been with. We are coming up on our five year anniversary oh, in January, which is Bundle Birth, a nursing corporation. And so I had done management in the hospital. I'd seen that whole upper management side. I'd been in the community and I was like, I think I've maximized my reach from the inside out. And so I think my option is the outside in. And so I started Bundle Birth really with the goal of educating and supporting families along the way and filling in a lot of those gaps. That led me to realize that, um, <laughs> that I can tell families what to do, but they show up to the hospital and their nurse is like, poo poo <laughs> on all of their decisions. And, um, and so really if I was going to make a difference and help make cultural change within the system, we couldn't forget our nurses. And because of my experience as a nurse, I'm still a nurse. I maintain my licensure and I function as a nurse for my clients. Um, I, I just was like, I think we got to do something for nurses. So I put together a physiologic birth class really as the foundation of that cultural shift to date. We have taught over 2,500 providers nation slash worldwide. Um, this is all in like COVID times um, and put together a 12 month mentorship for nurses and built this beautiful community of nurses that are changing the game in obstetrics and are receiving families and giving them the care that they deserve. And so um you know, across the way, how did I get into birth work as a nurse? And I have evolved and transitioned and been really creative in that role over the last five years. And I literally just explode running down the hallway <laughs> of my house. Like, how is this my life? I love my life, you know, and not to say it hasn't been hard. It has for sure been the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's just the most rewarding work. And to see that cultural shift happening, particularly in the hospital system, just brings me so much life. Well, this is such a great transition into what we're going to talk about, about building your birth team and kind of the mm -hmm. do's and don'ts and what I think of as like the red flags. And from, yep. I have a different perspective of birth because I was a doula for many years mm -hmm. and a childbirth educator. I still am and a, and a prenatal yoga teacher. And what I totally agree with you that there's a difference between those that took a childbirth ed and not. And actually there's a study I remember that talked about the confidence someone had, even mm -hmm. if their birth and satisfaction, even if yes. their birth didn't unfold how as, as envisioned, often when people take a childbirth ed class, they are part of the discussion as opposed to just feeling like it's happening to them. So I agree with that. Mm -hmm. And as well as it, even if someone brings a doula and takes their childbirth ed, if the team, especially sometimes the nurses who I have the utmost respect for, but as right. you said, sometimes you'll hear they're like, wah, wah, you know, if they're, they're not mm -hmm. on board, oh, that yeah. can make things really bumpy. So I'm mm -hmm. so excited to jump into this. So I guess where we should start is perhaps where can someone start when they're thinking about building their team? Who should they even have on their team? Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think you have to recognize that there are certain things that's within your control and certain things that are sort of outside like your control. Like the nurses that will be on Like shift. the <laughs> random nurse that walks in your, on your, into your birth room when you are giving birth right now. There still is a little bit of control there, but that's going to be less than choosing the birth environment that right. you're going to give birth in or your OB. And so I usually tell people to start with their insurance because you don't want to be paying out of pocket for this when you have insurance, if you have insurance. Um, and look at the list of doctors there. The other piece is that honestly, reviews online are pretty accurate. Um, not always. You have to sort of hold hold all reviews with a grain of salt. But when I've gone through and looked up doctors I've worked with that maybe I disagree with their practice, the reviews online are are not totally inaccurate. You know, they come from a certain place. And the and the doctors that I love and adore and agree with their practice and treat patient, patients with like love and respect and listen to them and help them have autonomy over their bodies that you know, that's going to be reflected online. And so, you know, doing your own little Google search with your, with your providers that you're looking at, I'm only speaking to providers, deciding between a doctor or a midwife, home versus hospital birth. I'm going to speak specifically to hospital birth because that's my specialty Mm -hmm. for those of you that are giving birth in the hospital. And then, you know, is there an option for a midwife? What, what preference do you have? Do they, do they work with midwives? Do they not? And then thinking about your birth environment. Because certain doctors will function in one hospital. Sometimes they have privileges to work in various hospitals. And so then you want to start looking at what does the hospital offer? And the only way to do that is knowing what, what's important to you, which we'll get to, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you know what's important to you, you're looking at, hey, I know I want nitrous oxide, the option of nitrous oxide. Look in your area. Are there hospitals that offer that? That's going to quickly rule out to the one place that does offer nitrous oxide, for instance, um, for you to use in, in your, in your birth. And so you need to be thinking doctor versus midwife. What's your birth environment? Let's say you choose, you want to, you want to give birth in a hospital. What hospitals are there around you? In some places you may be limited to one location. Um, but what hospitals are around you? What do they offer? A lot of this you can just find on their site. You can schedule a tour, some have virtual tours. You can sometimes even call the unit, um, once you know your preferences. And then the question that I love, um, is how are you protecting pregnant people? Mm. You know, and asking that to hospital representatives on your tour to your provider. Um, what how should are they you? want to hear? Um, a so when, lot of things. <laughs> but that's, <laughs> since we're talking red flags, if someone yeah. says, how do you protect your pregnant folks? Mm-hmm. What should they hear? And what might be a red flag? You're like, oh, oh, that's, mm-hmm. that's not what I was expecting to hear. Yep. So I think when we're talking about red flags, particularly let's say provider, because the whole hospital system, you can't, that's one thing that's sort of outside of your control. You can't control the entire hospital system. What really matters is what happens in your birth room and your provider or the doctor or midwife that's guiding your care is going to be a huge component of kind of leading the way in that. And so red flags for that for me would be um, first and foremost, just sort of the energy that they bring. Say you're interviewing a provider and it, the first question is, what does my spirit sense? What does my intuition say? Do I feel comfortable with them? Remember, labor and birth is super vulnerable, right? That you're, you're, you're in a very exposed place. You're like going through something that is truly life changing. And the people that you bring on your team, 
one, just being your provider in this case, really have a lot of impact potentially and their words matter. And so what word choice do they use when they're telling you about the way they practice? Do you feel empowered walking away or do you feel on guard? Mm. Do you feel um, kind of this like, uh, I feel hesitant walking away? The other piece along that those lines of energy is really, um, do they listen to you? right? That are they looking you in the eye or are they writing on the computer? Are they rushing the conversation? Um, and are they saying, what what matters to you? That to me is so foundational. If they're not even asking you what they want, they don't care, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And they need to be asking you what you want because labor and birth is so not cookie cutter and it is super flexible. But I think as a, as a patient going through or a family member going through the, the birth process, it's easy to kind of go like, well, whatever, whatever you want, doctor, when like there could be six different options available to you, you just need to know how to ask for them. It's mm-hmm. like leading into a whole nother conversation. But what, what are they asking you about your preferences? Do they care? Um, I think along those lines, um, knowing who else is in their practice, what's their C-section rate? Because I think a lot of times I hear people being like, well, the hospital C-section rate is fill in the blank. And really, if you have one provider that's working with you and they actually deliver you, which is a question you should be asking because a lot of providers work in groups. And so the person you see prenatally may not even be there for the birth. So then you also need to ask questions about how the other's doctors practice. But if they're going to be there for your birth, it's like, what's your C-section rate if a vaginal birth is is really important to you, right? Because if their C-section rate is 60% and somebody else's is 14, that actually matters because they're the one navigating your care, mm-hmm. right? If that's, if that's important to you. Some people care about years in practice. I think that there's pros and cons on newer versus older providers. Um, but I think too, just how they talk about certain things. How do they talk about doulas? That to me, whether you're going to use a doula or not is sort of like a very quick indicator of how flexible, supportive, and pro-patient they are. We know that doulas carry a whole lot of evidence that they help decrease C-section rates, help you have higher birth satisfaction, decrease NICU, neonatal intensive care unit stays for the baby, you know, less use of pain meds. I could go on and on and on. They're very evidence-based to help the birthing person. And if they are anti-doula, meaning, and the question just has to be, how do you, what if I chose to work with a doula? How would you feel if I, if I hired a doula? And if the answer is, well, you know, they need to know this and they blah, blah, blah. Like it becomes this sort of like thing versus, oh my gosh, I love doulas. I totally think you should hire a doula. All the evidence is there. I'm happy to provide some recommendations with you of people I've worked with, but absolutely like that. They should totally be a part of your care team. That's what you're looking for, right? And honestly, the perspective on doulas to me is a great indicator. Of yeah, I think of that as like a litmus test of like, it kind of are is. they are they kind of the team player? Because I've actually heard yeah. one of the reasons I reached out to you for this conversation is because I had an interaction with a student who I had to be very diplomatic of how I approached this, but she said uh-huh. that her care provider didn't like doulas and she didn't mm-hmm. need to take a childbirth education class because her care provider yeah. was going to tell her everything she needed. And again, I'm not. My, even though like Red the hair is in the back black. of my neck, like the cackle stood up, I had yep. to be, you know, I was like, that's interesting. And how do you feel about that? You know, just, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though inside I was like, Rawr. and Completely. She, she was like, I don't know. I was surprised by that. And so I, I felt a little in to be like, well, let's talk 
about that, but mm-hmm. it, those are the kind of things that. That's exactly it. Yeah. And it was just yep. the fact that they were dismissing. And, and another of my students was talking about a, was hoping for a VBAC. And she said she was, her doctor seemed on board, but as she mm-hmm. approached, they're like, so are we yep. gonna, let's just go ahead and schedule that section. She's like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. So I feel like sometimes it can be a slippery slope to try to, yes. to navigate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and those are questions you can ask early on. How many of your clients get induced? How late will you let me go in pregnancy? I don't like the word let, but like that is sort of how you approach it. You know, how late will you let me go in my pregnancy before you'll recommend an induction? At what point would you recommend a cesarean? And how often does that happen with your patients? Those kind of exploratory questions, 100% help you navigate and sort of start to get a picture for how certain providers practice, mm-hmm. you know, and what you're looking for is exactly that, that collaboration, that openness, like we'll see, we'll, and, and sort of a trust in the process of birth, which I think is, to be totally frank, I think is somewhat unique in the medical world and how medical people are trained, but is also part of the movement towards a physiologic birth perspective. And physiologic birth just means letting the body do what it does on its own without medical interventions and setting it up to work. And then obviously there are tools there if there needs to be, but rather than intervention or medical stuff first, it's physiology first. And that's really the push of bundle birth nurses that we've been trying to do. And it's happening. So you're looking for someone that's like, yeah, we'll wait and see. Like, there's no need. Let's, let's, let's let your body do its own thing versus, well, you know, at 39 weeks, usually at this point, there's something, or I really recommend at 39 weeks an induction, which does hold some evidence for, for benefit. And it, entirely depends on your own personal preferences. There are clients I have that are like, please induce me at 39 weeks. I'm over it. And I, I, I understand all the risk benefits alternatives and I am down for it. Right. That's a different conversation than you being told you need a medical induction and showing up to the hospital and finding out this is actually elective and you can go home. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the, that's the, not what we want. We want but, you fully in control of your experience. Well, I think it's down to the different philosophies. Like what you just outlined is what we've often thought is like kind of the midwifery base and the physio in the mm-hmm. uh, pathological. And of course, a lot of, in the medicine world, most of it is because there is an, an illness and that we want mm-hmm. the doctor's opinion of like solve this Completely. problem. But birth, it's physiological. Do people Mm -hmm. choose to have support? Absolutely. But it's not a problem. It's not an illness. And I think that is what we have to see from the beginning, that it could be a wait Mm -hmm. and see. Or someone could be like, yeah, bring everything on. It's it's a choice in medicine as opposed to, please, I have a problem. I need you to solve it. And so mm-hmm. I think that's something people should consider. This is so great. So, yeah. so that, so that was the, that's the care provider part of the team. Who mm-hmm. else should somebody, or are there any do's and don'ts about other parts of building the team that you want to exploit? I definitely want to talk about doulas. We'll get to that. But be- yeah. before that, is there anyone else? We've got the hospital and we've got mm-hmm. the care provider. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. about the nurse? How much does, as you know, that, you know, mm-hmm. you can't, we have very little control of yeah. the nurse. I mean, I guess you could ask for a different nurse if you're really not vibing with the nurse. Yep. But who else yeah, on the birth can. team um, should somebody think about? And what are some of the do's and don'ts about that? So I think just in general, when you're thinking about your birth team, and that is one thing that you can somewhat control, um, you just have have to be very mindful of the energy that the person brings to your environment. So the person that comes to mind other than a doula is your, your like 
personal support. Like obviously if you have a partner that likely they are going to want to be there, I assume, but they may not. And that would be a navigation that you would have to have. I've actually had one during COVID. I had a patient choose me over her husband and I just FaceTimed him in and she was like, this was the best decision ever. He doesn't even need to be there. I just did her second and he showed up for the end of the birth. So this is where there's no judgment. You have to do what's best for you knowing your environment. But let's say mother you want your mom there at the bedside, you know, obviously with limitations on, on visitors and whatnot. Um, you know, I just, I invite you to think about the energy of that person and how they are under stress because while labor and birth should be calm, you know, at times it may be somewhat stressful. There might be, and when it, when you have someone in there that really cares about you, they're going to likely be more on guard and more protective, which rightfully so. And, Mm -hmm. but yet the energy that that person brings frantic, nervous energy, crying, making it about them. I see that contributing. I laugh because as a doula, I've seen, I've seen. (laughs) Oh, Oh, yes. We're speaking like a secret language, but a very blatant language. Like, and honestly, you need to, I'm going to say it because you need to think about your moms. Or mother-in-laws or sisters or or (laughs) mother-in-laws. Yes. Like the women in the room, if they identify that way, that they are the ones that are, are usually second time arounds when I work with clients, they're like, so we'll never do that again. Like that's the (laughs) one biggest change that they, that they make for their second birth. And it's interesting you brought up, if I can jump in about the under stress, when I, uh, when I work with clients for childbirth, that's actually something we open up about conversation is how do Mm -hmm. you handle stress as, cause I remember one couple when I was early in my doula work, they were bickering and fighting. So I called my mentor mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh my God, what is happening? She goes, that might just be how they communicate and relate. And that's their dynamic under mm-hmm. stress. And so mm-hmm. then it helped me know how to work with them. But that is a yep. big question is if there's stress, you know, and birth can be, especially if there's decisions to be made, it can definitely yeah. bring out sometimes not the best. Yes. And I would expect it not to, to be honest. Like you have to be a very self-aware person to put your own emotions entirely on the side so that you as the birthing person are not caring for your mom in the room during your birth. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. that's the dynamic that I see um, a lot. So who you bring along really does matter. And I'm not even talking about professionally, but as your support team and and yet what, what education, what support have they had to yes. be able to step into that role? So you may say, I really want my mom there. I really want it. I, you know, but then don't just leave them hanging, have these conversations ahead of time and say, this is what I need from you. And how are you going to feel if fill in the blank, you know, right. and here's our expectation for when these conversations happen. Do we want you a part of it? Or are we going to ask that you just let us make those decisions? And like, maybe we develop a code word when you're overstepping. I can say pineapples mother <laughs> and mom goes, Oh, okay. Like, you yeah. know, there has to be some pre-communication with regardless who your support team is, um, for that. Yeah. And I also like what you said about the education, because say you want your mother or mother-in-law, whoever there, if they don't know what physiological birth, say someone decides, okay, I want a physiological birth, mm-hmm. mom come along. And if mom doesn't know what that looks like, she right. could get overwhelmed. Like, oh my gosh, you look like you're in so much pain or there's a lot of sound or movement. Why mm-hmm. don't you get, you know, X, Y, and Z? And that's not going to be helpful because right. they're, they just don't know what that 
what normal birth, I don't want to say normal birth, but like normal movement of a physiological birth looks like if they only know one mm-hmm. type. So mm-hmm. I think that education piece is important. Okay. I want to talk about doulas. We're going to take a super yeah. quick break. Well, let me come back. Let's jump into the world of doulas. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, we are back. So... I love the topic of doulas. And as a former doula, I'm clearly pro doula, but I have seen and heard some doulas stepping out of the scope of practice. And I think Mm -hmm. that can damage the reputation of doulas and then care providers can be like, wah, wah, I don't want to work with that doula. Mm -hmm. So, and I think sometimes it can even cause harm to the parents. So will you go through the do's and don'ts of the scope of the doula? So this could Mm -hmm. be red flags for the parent or the parents interviewing the doula. So they know again, what to, what they should be looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the first thing I want to clarify with this question, which I think is so brilliant, is the understanding of what a doula is and isn't is the question, right? And yeah. you have to know what they are. And a doula is physical and emotional support. So remember that, write it down somewhere. One of the red flags I hear, because I actually do function as a doula um, with my clients on a very limited basis, but I've been doing this since the start of my business. And, um, and I've learned a whole lot because I also, I have the perspective of the doula and I also have the perspective of the nurse working with the doula. And when you say that you've heard stories, oh, I, I have a whole episode of stories that we will not get into, you know, and you it can does, tell it to me later. the reputation of doulas. Exactly. <laughs> and so to understand that they are not there to speak for you. They're, they are there to help you speak up for yourself. And that clear distinction when you're interviewing a doula to understand first for yourself, what do you feel like you need in a doula? What obviously look into the, the benefits. I listed some of those off knowing that it's helpful, but are they there to, I'm going to like, I had, a, I had a client actually that hired me who interviewed somebody else. And that, that doula in the interview told her that, or she had said that she'd been induced with her first pregnancy. And the doula's response was, Oh, with me, that will never happen. And mm-hmm. I, I like, I, I mean, I could hardly hold, hold my face together because one of the don'ts of a doula is that you are not, and they are not, unless explicitly like they carry a license like myself, they are not a medical professional. And so they shouldn't be intervening on giving medical advice. And that can look really dicey, honestly, even as a nurse at the bedside where I'm like, I'm giving nursing education, not medical education. Like there's a very fine line of like education about birth. Yes, is within scope. But the moment they start giving you advice on no, you shouldn't start Pitocin or, you know, that here's the risks and benefits of an epidural or, oh, we are not going to be induced. Let me help you be talk, talk, like talk out of this induction situation. Like that's not the role of a, of a doula. They're there to support you in getting the information that you need from your medical people. So this is literally, I feed my clients questions like in quotes, ask 
this, <laughs> you know, and then they ask that it helps navigate a conversation so that you can make the most informed decision for yourself. Mm-hmm. And when I'm in interviews, I, I will never forget. I was in an interview and this lady was adamant upon that. She didn't want to speak up for herself and she was expecting me to. And I literally, I had to sit there and I, I am not this person. And I said, you know, I think your expectation of what I, what you want from me, I can't fulfill because my role is this. And actually I, I I mean, she was like, Oh, okay. And I was like, this is a slippery slope. Like it's not the right client for me because I can't, I can't fulfill that for her. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, not speaking for you, helping you speak up at the bedside. So what this looks like is doctor comes in and says, Hey, like I see this on the fetal monitor and I'm concerned because blah, 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 I'm going to recommend blah, blah, blah. You look at the doula and go, what do you think? And I, you know, and I, this happens to me all the time. And instead of going, well, I think this, and I think that no, no, no. It's well, what do you think? How do you feel about what he, what this doctor's saying? That seems like a, and I say this all the time and it's, it's become like a cliche in my head, even though it's so effective is that sounds like a great question for your doctor. Let's navigate that together. Mm-hmm. You know, when it's, and these are things that like, I very much have the medical knowledge, <laughs> but especially when I'm in the hospital, I don't want to be responsible for their decisions. You know, they have to, like, they need to live with them and they need to feel confident with their decisions. And that is actually empowering for their circumstance. So that's sort of what it can look like. But I think when you're interviewing, one of the biggest red flags is scoping for ego. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is where, when I look back on being a bedside nurse, the biggest component, when I wet it down to what is this, it's ego. And if they feel like they need to prove their worth, they need to show how great they are, or they bring in their own birth experience or their own bias about birth and how you should give birth, that is a red flag to me because they're there to support you and your wishes and preferences. They're help there to help fill in some educational gaps. They're there to help you know some coping tools and look in your eyes and be like, you can do this. I'm right here with you. You are not alone. And then also that advocacy piece is help you navigate those conversations with your care team. And how does that feel? That doesn't feel good. Do you want a minute to, to marinate on it? Let's talk it through. And then you listen and you validate their feelings and you help them formulate some questions back to their provider to help navigate and facilitate, be that bridge between conversation, but not speaking for the provider. Now, easily in those scenarios, what that looks like is instead when there's ego in the scenario, well, I did this or I, you know, underlying, I really truly like, and they may not say this blatantly, but I really believe that birth with an epidural is wrong, that everybody should give birth without an epidural. And so I'm going to push you past your limit to maybe even the point of suffering because I believe this about birth. When for you, the question really should be, what do you believe about epidurals? <laughs> How do you feel about it? What, what's your education been? What's your experience? What stories have you heard? What are you concerned about? And filling in where you can and then saying, I think that sounds like a great conversation for your provider. How long does it take in that facility to get an epidural? You know, is it an hour or is it 15 minutes? And for some, it's an hour, two, three. I've been in facilities and they have to call them in from, from home. And others, they're like literally five seconds away and five minutes they show up to your room to get you going. You know, that's the, that's the type of navigation that a doula can do. But the moment they're trying to prove their worth, it becomes over intervene and like show you how much they know that, that feels icky from a, from like, especially a medical side of things. Like, and, 
do are they collaborative? We at least asked this about the OB or even the nurses. Are they collaborative with the OB? Are they anti your birth environment or your provider? Are they going to make you feel empowered that we're all a part of a team and help you have compassion on whatever the circumstance is and understanding while still advocating for yourself? Or are they just going to contribute to a sense of lack of trust? of your care team. That's I have helpful. seen that a lot where then it becomes kind of an us against them. And mm-hmm. that is never helpful. We just go, if we go no. back to the foundation of birth, we need that hormonal blueprint to be very yes. steady. And if we've created, or, you know, any doula or any birth situation has this divide of mm-hmm. where the birthing persons were like, okay, my doula is my shield because I don't trust anyone. Like that's yes. not going to help no. I call it, I call it circling the wagons when you have your birth team kind of holding the space. If someone mm-hmm. doesn't feel like they're well protected and by the whole team and they're ho- yes. being held in that open space, their body's going to react that they yes. can't open and relax. And Completely. then we're going to see more interventions and more interventions. And then that doula might be like, no, I'm not going to, you know, don't do this. So I mm-hmm. love that, that very strong point of collaboration, because if we're all circling the wagons, we have to all be there together. We can't mm-hmm. put an us against them. And that happens a lot, a lot, a lot. And that to me comes from a place of ego of like, I need to prove my worth and my position and I need to be more important a lot of times. And I, I mean, I, if I'm honest with myself, like Sometimes I think I know more than the people in the room, you know, and I might, but I have to check my ego at the door and like realize it is so not about me and it's not about me proving anything to them. I have to know what I know. And if I need to access what I know to help them navigate their scenario, yes, I'll do it. But most of the time I don't even have to, because if we can, if I can help the client get to that place with their provider, they feel more in control. They feel like they did it. I can't tell you how many times I can think of one particular case where this provider came in and said that she needed a C-section. And I, as a nurse was looking at the scenario and like was completely floored. Like, how are we having this conversation? I am so confused where you got there. And they started prepping her and whatnot. And I just, you know, I was looking at my client and I said, do you want to ask for a minute to kind of let this settle? She was like, yeah. And so then I gave, I prompted her with three questions to ask the provider. The provider came in and she was just awesome and just like, was like, Hey, this, and what about this? And asked the questions beautifully. It facilitated this amazing conversation. Next thing we knew she was given two more hours and had a vaginal birth. Other questions is mom. Okay. Is baby. Okay. Can we have more time? (laughs) Those are questions Um, we always use. Yes. Yes. And it was like, it was like, help me understand that. I don't remember exactly the question. It's my one like secret weapon question is if they're asking for a C-section and they're like actually having a conversation about it, it's not an emergency is to say, doctor, can you assure me that we have done everything humanly possible to safely have a vaginal birth? Mm. There's nothing else that we can do. And the number of times I have, I have I say I've stumped them. The patient has stumped them and they're, they'll like, look at me, especially I can think of one that like knew me cause I was in my previous hospital and like this midwife looked at me and kind of like laughed and was like, no, she's like, no, I can't tell you that. And was like, <laughs> all right, let's try this and blah, blah, blah. And then next thing you knew, she had a vaginal birth that as well. Is, I love it. No, you know? no, can't say that. No, that's hilarious. <laughs> that is hilarious. I'm going to start sharing that. That is fantastic. Right. 
And so back to the first one, but I, you know, she'd navigated to this vaginal birth and she looked at me at the end and she goes, I did this. Yes. I did this. I advocated for myself and I got this vaginal birth. Oh, and that's I looked at her and I'm like, that's, that's beautiful. exactly it. Yes. You know, and that's the difference in that doulas can have at the bedside, you know, to empower the patient versus take the credit for themselves. Yeah. You know, even when I help turn patients to help like a malpositioned baby and then they get their vaginal birth, I am never taking credit for that. In my head, I know that I, I assisted, but their body did it. Yeah. I can never take credit for somebody else's birth. That's so unfair to the birthing person. So you know, I think, I think knowing that perspective and really scoping for ego to me is one of my biggest tips that I give people. Mm, that's perfect. All right. So I want to talk about childbirth education classes. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's also some red flags that people should be aware of. So what are some of the red flags that someone may notice that they're being led to more hospital protocol, which may actually differ mm-hmm. from evidence-based information? Mm-hmm. So I think, okay, I think there's two like really good examples I can think of for this. So one is, are they telling you what to do versus are they giving you the benefits, risks, and other options about different things as they teach them? So say induction of labor. Are they saying, you know, at 39 weeks, um, typically your doctor is going to induce you. Um, some providers may allow you to go to 41 weeks. And then in that case, this is what's going to happen with your induction, right? Versus with induction of labor, there are different types of inductions of labor. Your doctor may, may, may recommend an induction for various reasons. Here's the benefits of an induction and certain circumstances where it may be recommended. Here's some risk to induction and here's, here's some, here's some tools for how to navigate that conversation with your provider. And in the case of XYZ, here's some other options that you can navigate with your provider given your specific pregnancy scenario. That's a very different conversation than telling you what to do. Right. Um, the other sort of phrase that I can think of related to red flags at the, of hospital policy is here at this hospital, we do this, or I experience this versus even literally saying the evidence says this mm-hmm. and being able to quote and like listening for words on the evidence says this. And honestly, I was <laughs> like, when thinking about hospital policy, they may even say, our hospital policy is blah, 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 you know, and, and, and it may be that blatant because they're not aware that you're scoping out for this. Um, and if they say that, believe them. Well, that that's a, a huge red flag policy. then. This is our hospital policy. Well, yes, that's your policy, but is that beneficial? But what does the evidence say? <laughs> yeah, and is that, yeah. so that might be the policy of like, we're not going to, we're going to do this, this, and this, but evidence mm-hmm. says this, or you have options for this. So I think that right. in itself. So listeners, community, if you mm-hmm. hear this is policy, take a beat and think about is there evidence behind that? And what are the other options besides the policy? Because mm-hmm. you don't always have to go with what the policy is. Completely, completely. Yeah, yeah like you have full thing. autonomy over your experience. Um, and then you're just scoping out for how how empowered do you feel learning from them? You know, do you actually, do you feel scared about giving birth? You know, there's so many risks. You need to be afraid so that we're in this, so that your hospital team, including your provider, is in a position of power over you and they can just tell you what to do. You know, well, you're, and and even honestly, I'm going to say it out loud. I hate saying this out loud, but like, yeah, and your baby could die. 
Like if that comes up in a, in a childbirth class, honestly, like it's so unnecessary. We know that like I could walk across the street and get hit by a car. Like we, we know there's risk related. How is that helpful? to me, right. you know? And so it's, it's, it's using those scare tactics to sort of build power and control, um, whether it's known or not. And I, I want to give benefit of the doubt that I'm sure that when things like that are said, I don't think they come from a place of wanting to scare you, but I think you need to pay attention. Do I walk away going, Oh my gosh, birth is so risky. I really need my provider, you know? And, and I'm going to, I'm going to say like, you do, (laughs) you have a care team there for a reason. They're there to help keep you safe Mm -hmm. and help you navigate the experience. But are you so now afraid of birth that you're dependent upon them at the end of the class? Or are you now empowered by your birth experience, feel like you have options and control and, you know, and that you have this amazing care team that's going to listen to you and value your preferences and help you navigate so that every decision was yours to make, not out of fear, but out of confidence. Mm -hmm. What about some, and I only say this one because it, it came up a couple years ago, I haven't heard it recently, of old techniques of birthing. Like, I guess, let me just, let me just put it mm-hmm. out there. So, um, I'm a certified Lamaze teacher, but what I've learned, and I think I've been a certified teacher for like 16 years and we wow. never heard that. Like that was not part mm-hmm. of what, but so many people still associate Lamaze with that funky breathing as opposed to evidence-based care practices. And I mm-hmm. know there are still some kind of old school teachers out there. What techniques or birthing scenarios do you think people should realize are very out of date? Mm-hmm. Well, I think any, anytime you're in a childbirth class related to dating, it's like, what's, first of all, what's the up-to-date evidence, you know, and, and who's teaching this class? Are they actually in practice? Do they, are they, how are they staying up to date? Because, you know, there are childbirth educators. Now, <laughs> I remember watching a YouTube video. This was actually inspired my YouTube channel where I was like listening to this lady teach. And I'm like, you literally have not been in contact with anyone in the birth world for the last like 15 years, you know? Um, and so what are the prerequisites to your instructor for one? Um, and then also how, how current are, are like, does it, does it vibe with the birth world? I guess. And this is where like the moment you get pregnant, you start to like be advertised pregnancy things. You're starting to do your research, um, and starting to like follow some of these people and start to learn. If you're listening to this podcast, you are one of those people, right? (laughs) And so as you start to, to navigate and start to learn the birth lingo and what like people are saying in general, I would trust your like, huh, that's a new one you know, or like how relevant is that to my practice? One of the things that actually I just saw a birth documentary the other day that was really amazing called born free. And yet the, the one like small critique I have very small was they talked a lot about episiotomies. And while episiotomies are still happening, that is when the provider makes a cut with a scissor along the perineum, usually the bottom space of the bottom of the vagina hole towards the rectum to quote unquote, make space for the baby. That's old practice to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like it is not evidence-based. It hasn't been evidence-based for like 10 years. They say in, they say in the medical world that, <laughs> that like it takes 10 years for new things to actually take hold and become the standard of care. Episiotomies in general are not the standard of care. And I can say that confidently based on like the 
hundreds of nurses I have contact with every week. So if, you know, if you're learning about this as like, that is the standard in the class, you know, like then the doctor makes a cut, like, hold on. I thought we were, I thought we were past that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, (laughs) hold on. That to me is a red flag, you know, but this, honestly, it takes you sort of diving in and doing exactly what you're doing right now to start hearing what is the vibe. And and as you just kind of take it all in, don't put pressure on yourself, just hold your hands open and start just marinating, holding everything loosely because one person's birth experience is very different than the next person's Mm -hmm. and yours will be very different from theirs. Yet it all sort of has this same birthy vibe. And so as you start to take that in and as you start listening to your intuition or gut, start questioning. It is okay to question. It's okay to, it's okay to maybe not understand something and then go tell me more about that. What does the evidence say? Is that still best practice? You know, and for a medical person to ask that particular question puts them on the spot. I like that, but I wanted, you just said something that really sparked something about the instincts and, and so what are some ways? Cause I know sometimes it can be hard to trust your instincts because mm-hmm. some, you know, that whole white coat syndrome of like, Oh, you, yes, you must know you are the one with the, the degree. You're the professional. You must know best, but we want people to trust their instincts. So yes. what are some ways to help someone build their confidence and trust themselves because it can be overwhelming. Even if you've researched your team and you've got your support folks right there, it can still feel overwhelming when you're, as you said, it's vulnerable. Birth is really vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely. So, and you, you started in exactly where I would start with answering that question is that you, you can't wing it. (laughs) sorry, like it's a big day. It's sort of important. And like, I don't recommend based on the over 5,000 births I've been a part of that you wing it, you know? So you got to read, do your education, do your classes, take it in again. But here's, here's the key that I want you to understand. And I will speak from like my medical authority here. Okay. That birth is entirely flex and flow. That is like my motto. I live by that. I use it. It's so applicable for birth that birth and labor and like you have to understand this specialty in quote unquote medicine, just like you said before, most patients are not sick. They're doing a very natural thing by giving birth that the labor and delivery section of the hospital is a very unique place. What I mean by that is if you're in a cancer ward, right, you have breast cancer, you have options, right? Your options are radiation, surgery, chemo, maybe a combination of the three, but that is your treatment plan. Let's talk about it. What do you want to do? What's your recommendation? And you listen to your doctor, right? Labor and birth is so different from that, that there is likely a, I'm going to say a hundred. That's maybe an exaggeration. There is a plethora of options presented in front of you. And to be honest, from like a medical perspective, we have standards. We know some evidence about like what's considered safe. What are warning signs? That's what we're there for. Looking for potential deterioration, that there is some sort of pathology that now is popping up on the map, but we're kind of winging it <laughs> to be honest. Like it, there's, there's a lot of birth that's very flexible and you have to look at, okay, I'm seeing this with the baby and you're coping or not. And what do you want to do? You know? And so there is, I I want you to hear loud and clear that regardless, your provider may be offering you something or saying, we need to break your water. But unless they are looking at you and saying, 
I am very concerned about the health and safety of you and or your child, that everything is up for conversation. And you can sense the urgency in the room. A lot of times, like one of the one of the tools that I was taught as a childbirth educator was to teach, and I, I have like pros and cons against this, but to throw it out there is to ask the question, is mom or baby in danger now? Mm-hmm. If the answer is yes, like that's why I've hired you as my provider. Like, please keep us safe, you know? And like, that's why I'm giving birth in a hospital potentially. And like, whatever you see, I'm trusting your medical expertise, but because I've done the work to get there to a trusting place with you where I can say, yes, keep us safe, right? Mm -hmm. 95% of the time, they are going to say, no, mom and baby aren't in danger now. And then you just have to know there is this world of opportunity available to you. And this is where going back to the instinct, which was the original part of the question, (laughs) was that for you to understand that at that point, it is entirely about you. It's always about you. But in that 95% of the case, it's your responsibility to know what's important to you, to tap into that. You can ask for more time. You can ask as many questions as you want. You are never a burden. And if your provider or your nurse is treating you that way, just hear from my voice right now that that is their problem, not yours. Their job is to educate you and help you make those confident decisions. That's the expectations. There's patient bills of rights on this. There's nurse bills of rights on this. There's expectations in the American Nurses Association on all of this and for the doctors. Okay. So great. This practice. is so great. You're giving such amazing information. So oh my I, gosh. I'm like smiling because it makes me so excited when I feel like someone can walk away from this conversation and feel excited. That's something I always look for yes. after like a, a class. Like I've had students yes. come after either a prenatal class or a childbirth education class. They're like, I'm so excited to give birth. That's exactly. when we know that we've done our jobs of getting yes. them excited and to trust their body. Body and get excited yeah. about what's to come. Oh, this mm-hmm. is so great. All right. So we're going to take another break. When we come back, what is what you've given so much. So yeah. chew on this one while we take a quick break. What is one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new or expectant parents? We'll be right back. Okay. So You've done a lot of birth in your life. So what is the one, and you've given so much on this, on this conversation already. What is the one thing you'd like to leave us with? I can't, I, I like go back and forth in my head on this. I say at the end of every YouTube video and don't forget to flex and flow. And I already, I already mentioned it because I can't do anything without mentioning it. And I really think that that is the biggest piece of advice I want to leave with you is to remember that labor is flexible. Um, and that there is an element of go with the flow. That doesn't mean throw your hands in the air and just go like, Oh, I have no control and like whatever you want, doctor. You know, that means that as you navigate your birth preferences, your education, your growth in pregnancy, your sensations that, and your life, that life throws us curveballs. There's always something new and unexpected. And when we hold so tightly to what we want or to the outcome or to fill in the blank, that that creates tension in the body, right? And no one wants to live with tension. We want to live soft and calm well, birthing and peaceful. Doesn't, birthing's not great with tension. <laughs> I mean, let's no, look exactly. We actually exactly. need to take the tension away. Yeah, exactly. And that plays in physically for your birth. That yes. helps your birth progress. Yeah. And so that attitude of softening and going, okay, 
I'm not going to, I'm not going to disengage, but I'm going to navigate this with a flex and flow attitude. It's coping for life, right? That as something changes and you're diagnosed with cholestasis, this is a client literally called me right before here. And I'm like, great, what a beautiful opportunity for us to flex and flow. And so now what does it look like moving forward in this pregnancy and leading into this birth to give birth with cholestasis? If you don't know what that is, I have a YouTube video on it, right? And so now we're, we're going to, we're going to navigate that beautifully instead of, no, I wanted this. And now I have cholestasis and I'm rebellious to it and blah, 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 blah. Like that's, that's tension. That's resistance. And so allowing yourself to be flexible and go with the flow through the process, receive the information that comes in, internalize it as yourself. And then the flow comes from you and your instinct and and your own body sensations of this feels right for me. Thank you provider care team for the benefits, risks, alternatives. I feel confident in this decision going forward. Do you feel safe with that? I feel like that's a safe option. And now we're going to navigate the flow together. Like what a beautiful birth experience versus this forceful tension, resisting fear-based of a birth. Mm -hmm. Don't forget to flex and flow. I love that. Uh, It's so great. Okay. Where can people find your work? Yeah. So the easiest way to find everything that we do is to go to bundlebirth.com. That's where you can find all sorts of things, but I am on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram and TikTok are bundle birth. Um, YouTube is Sarah with an H Lavon, L-A-V-O-N-N-E. I have over a hundred childbirth, free childbirth education videos over there. I have classes on my site, different products for your labor and birth. If you know a labor and delivery nurse, send them to bundlebirthnurses.com. We have a podcast for nurses. If you want the inside scoop on like the nursing side of things, um, ultimately we're here for you. So bundlebirth.com is the, is the quickest, easiest way to find me. Oh, and I, of course I'll put that all in our show notes. Oh, Sarah, I have so, so enjoyed this conversation. I have a smile Same. from ear to ear. This has been great. Thank you so Aww. much. Oh, thank you so much for allowing me to be on this platform and reach your audience. Thanks. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.